Chapter Fourteen of the Struggles of Brown, Jones, and Robinson by Anthony Trollope. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Mistress Moroni. It was about ten days after the conversation recorded in the last chapter between Mr. Robinson and Mr. Poppins that an affair was brought about through the imprudence and dishonesty of Mr. Jones which for some time prevented that settlement of matters on which Mr. Robinson had resolved. During those ten days he had been occupied in bringing his resolution to a fixed point, and then, when the day and hour had come in which he intended to act, that event occurred which, disgraceful as it is to the annals of the firm, must now be told. There are certain small tricks of trade well known to the lower class of houses in that business to which Brown, Jones, and Robinson had devoted themselves, which for a time may no doubt be profitable, but which are very apt to bring disgrace and ruin upon those who practice them. To such tricks as these Mr. Jones was wedded, and by none of the arguments which he used in favor of a high moral tone of commerce could Robinson prevail upon his partner to abandon them? Nothing could exceed the obstinacy and blindness of Mr. Jones during these discussions. When it was explained to him that the conduct he was pursuing was hardly removed, nay, it was not removed, from common swindling, he would reply that it was quite as honest as Mr. Robinson's advertisements. He would quote especially those catachyrian shirts which were obtained from Hodges, and of which the sale at thirty-nine shillings sixpence the half-dozen had by dint of a wide circulation of notices become considerable. "'If that isn't swindling, I don't know what is,' said Jones. "'Do you know what catachyrian means?' said Robinson. "'No, I don't.' said Jones, and I don't want to know. Catechirian means fitting, said Robinson, and the purchaser has only to take care that the shirt he buys does fit, and then it is catechirian. But we didn't invent them. We invented the price and the name, and that's as much as anybody does. But that is not all. It is a well-understood maxim in trade that a man may advertise whatever he chooses. We advertise to attract notice, not to state facts. But it's a mean thing to pass off a false article over the counter. If you will ticket your goods, you should sell them according to the ticket. At first the other partners had not objected to this ticketing, as the practice is now common and there is at first sight an apparent honesty about it which has its seduction. A lady, seeing twenty-one shillings sevenpence marked on a mantle in the window, is able to contemplate the desired piece of goods, and to compare it, in silent leisure, with her finances. She can use all her power of eye, but, as a compensation to the shopkeeper, is debarred from the power of touch and then, having satisfied herself as to the value of the thing inspected, she can go in and buy without delay or trouble to the vendor. But it has been found by practice that so true are the eyes of ladies 
that it is useless to expose in shop windows articles which are not good of their kind and cheap at the price named to attract customers in this way real bargains must be exhibited and when this is done ladies take advantage of the unwary tradesmen and unintended sacrifices are made george robinson soon perceived this and suggested that the ticketing should be abandoned jones however persevered observing that he knew how to remedy the evil inherent in the system hence difficulties arose and ultimately disgrace which was very injurious to the firm and went near to break the heart of mr brown according to jones plan the articles ticketed in the window were not under any circumstances to be sold the shopmen indeed were forbidden to remove them from their positions under any entreaties or threats from the customers the customer was to be at first informed with all the blandishment at the shopman's command that the goods furnished within the shop were exact counterparts of those exposed then the shopman was to argue that the arrangements of the window could not be disturbed and should a persistent purchaser after that insist on a supposed legal right to buy the very thing ticketed mr jones was to be called in which case mr jones would inform the persistent purchaser that she was regarded as unreasonable violent and disagreeable and that under such circumstances her custom was not wanted by brown jones and robinson the disappointed female would generally leave the shop with some loud remarks as to swindling dishonesty and pettifogging to which mr jones could turn a deaf ear but sometimes worse than this would ensue ladies would insist on their rights scrambles would occur in order that possession of the article might be obtained the assistants in the shop would not always take part with mr jones and as has been before said serious difficulties would arise there can be no doubt that jones was very wrong he usually was wrong his ideas of trade were mean limited and altogether inappropriate to business on a large scale but nevertheless we cannot pass on to the narration of a circumstance as it did occur without expressing our strong abhorrence of those ladies who are desirous of purchasing cheap goods to the manifest injury of the tradesmen from whom they buy them the ticketing of goods at prices below their value is not to our taste but the purchasing of such goods is less so the lady who will take advantage of a tradesman that she may fill her house with linen or cover her back with finery at his cost and in a manner which her own means would not fairly permit is in our estimation a robber it is often necessary that tradesmen should advertise tremendous sacrifices it is sometimes necessary that they should actually make such sacrifices brown jones and robinson have during their career been driven to such a necessity they have smiled upon their female customers using their sweetest blandishments while those female customers have abstracted their goods at prices almost nominal brown jones and robinson enforcing such sales have been coerced by the necessary laws of trade but while smiling with all their blandishments 
they have known that the ladies on whom they have smiled have been robbers. Why is it that commercial honesty has so seldom charms for women? A woman who would give away the last shawl from her back will insist on smuggling her gloves through the custom house. Who can make a widow understand that she should not communicate with her boy in the colonies under the dishonest cover of a newspaper? Is not the passion for cheap purchases altogether a female mania? And yet every cheap purchase, every purchase made at a rate so cheap as to deny the vendor his fair profit, is, in truth, a dishonesty. A dishonesty to which the purchaser is indirectly a party. Would that women could be taught to hate bargains! How much less useless trash would there be in our houses! and how much fewer tremendous sacrifices in our shops. Brown, Jones, and Robinson, when they had been established some six or eight months, had managed to procure from a house in the silk trade a few black silk mantles of a very superior description. The lot had been a remnant, and had been obtained with sundry other goods at a low figure. But nevertheless, the proper price at which the house could afford to sell them would exceed the mark of general purchasers in Bishopsgate Street. These came into Mr. Jones' hands, and he immediately resolved to use them for the purposes of the window. Some half-dozen of them were very tastefully arranged upon racks, and were marked at prices which were very tempting to ladies of discernment. In the middle of one window there was a copious mantle of silk, so thick that it stood almost alone very full in its dimensions, and admirable in its fashion. This mantle, which would not have been dearly bought for three pounds ten shillings, or four pounds, was injudiciously ticketed at thirty-eight shillings eleven and a half pence. "'It will bring dozens of women to the shop,' said Jones, "'and we have an article of the same shape and color, which we can do at that price uncommonly well.' whether or no the mantle had brought dozens of women into the shop cannot now be said but it certainly brought one there whom brown jones and robinson will long remember mrs moroni was an irish woman who as she assured the magistrates in worship street had lived in the very highest circles in limerick and had come from a princely stock in the neighboring county of glare she was a full-sized lady, not without a certain amount of good looks, though at the period of her intended purchase in Bishopsgate Street she must have been nearer fifty than forty. Her face was florid, if not red, her arms were thick and powerful, her eyes were bright, but as seen by Brown, Jones, and Robinson, not pleasant to the view, and she always carried with her an air of undaunted resolution. When she entered the shop she was accompanied by a thin, acrid, unmarried female friend whose feminine charms by no means equaled her own. She might be of about the same age, but she had more of the air and manner of advanced years. Her nose was long, narrow, and red. Her eyes were set very near together. She was tall and skimpy in all her proportions, and her name was Miss Biles. 
of the name and station of mrs maroney or of miss biles nothing was of course known when they entered the shop but with all these circumstances b j and r were afterwards made acquainted i believe i'll just look at that police if you please said mrs maroney addressing herself to a young man who stood near to the window in which the mantle was displayed certainly ma'am said the man if you'll step this way i'll show you the article i see the article there said mrs maroney poking at it with her parasol standing where she did she was just able to touch it in this way that's the one i mean with the price how much was it miss biles one eighteen eleven and a halfpenny said miss biles who had learned the figures by heart before she ventured to enter the shop if you'll do me the favor to step this way i'll show you the same article said the man who was now aware that it was his first duty to get the ladies away from that neighborhood it's the one there that i'm asking you for said she pointing again and pointing this time with the hooked end of her parasol i'll trouble you young man to show me the article with the ticket the identical police if you please sir said miss biles which you there advertise as for sale at one eighteen eleven and a halfpenny and then she pressed her lips together and looked at the shopman with such vehemence that her two eyes seemed to grow into one the poor man knew that he was in for a difficulty and cast his eyes across the shop for assistance jones who in his own branch was ever on the watch and let praise for that diligence be duly given to him had seen from the first what was in the wind from the moment in which the stout lady had raised her parasol he felt that a battle was imminent but he had thought it prudent to abstain a while from the combat himself he hovered near however as personal protection might be needed on behalf of the favorite ornament of his window i'll trouble you if you please sir to reach me that police said mrs maroney we never disturb our window said the man but we keep the same article in the shop don't you be took in by that mrs maroney said miss biles i don't mean said mrs maroney i shall insist sir now was the moment in which as jones felt the interference of the general himself was necessary mrs maroney was in the act of turning herself well round toward the window so as to make herself sure of her prey when she should resolve on grasping it miss biles had already her purse in her hand ready to pay the legal claim it was clear to be seen that the enemy was of no mean skill and of great valor the intimidation of mrs maroney might be regarded as a feat beyond the power of man her florid countenance had already become more than ordinarily rubicund and her nostrils were breathing anger ma'am said mr jones stepping up and ineffectually attempting to interpose himself between her and the low barrier which protected the goods exposed to view the young man has already told you that we cannot disarrange that window it is not our habit to do so if you will do me the honor to walk to a chair he shall show you any articles which you may desire to inspect don't you be done 
whispered Miss Biles. I don't mean if I know it, said Mrs. Maroney, standing her ground manfully. I don't desire to inspect anything, only that police. I am sorry that we cannot gratify you, said Mr. Jones. But you must gratify me. It's for sale, and the money's on it. You shall have the same article at the same price. And Mr. Jones, as he spoke, endeavored to press the lady out of her position. But positively you cannot have that. We never break through our rules. Chating the public is the chief of your rules, I'm thinking, said Mrs. Maroney. But you'll not find it so easy to chate me. Pay them the money down on the counter, Miss Biles, dear. And so saying, she thrust forth her parasol and succeeded in her attempt to dislodge the prey. Knowing well where to strike her blow and obtain a hold, she dragged forth the mantle and almost got it into her left hand. But Jones could not stand by and see his firm thus robbed. Dreadful as was his foe in spirit, size, and strength, his manliness was too great for this. So he also dashed forward and was the first to grasp the silk. "'Are you going to rob the shop?' said he. "'Is it rob?' said Mrs. Maroney. "'By the powers, then. You're the biggest blackguard my eyes have seen since I've been in London, and that's saying a long word. Is it rob to me?' I'll tell you what it is, young man. If you don't let your fingers off this police that I've purchased, I'll have you before the magistrates for staling it. Have you paid the money down, dear? Miss Biles was busy counting out the cash, but no one was at hand to take it from her. It was clear that the two confederates had prepared themselves at all points for the contest, having no doubt more than once inspected the articles from the outside for Miss Biles had the exact sum ready, done to the odd halfpenny. "'There,' said she, appealing to the young man who was nearest to her, "'one, eighteen, eleven, and a halfpenny.' But the young man was deaf to the charmer, even though she charmed with ready money. "'May I trouble you to see that the cash is right?' But the young man would not be troubled." "'You'd a deal better leave it go, ma'am,' said Jones, "'or I shall be obliged to send for the police.' "'Is it the police? Faith, then, and I think you'd better send. Give me my mantilla, I say. It's bought and paid for at your own price.' By this time there was a crowd in the shop, and Jones, in his anxiety to defend the establishment, had closed with Mrs. Maroney and was, as it were, wrestling with her. His effort, no doubt, had been to disengage her hand from the unfortunate mantle, but in doing so he was led into some slight personal violence towards the lady. And now Miss Biles, having deposited her money, attacked him from behind, declaring that her friend would be murdered. "'Come, hands off! A woman's a woman always!' said one of the crowd who had gathered round them. "'What does this man mean by hauling a female about in that way?' said another. "'The poor crathers nigh murdered with him entirely,' said a countrywoman from the street. "'If she's bought a thingumbob at your own price, why don't you give it her?' asked the fourth. "'I'll be hanged if she shall have it,' said Jones, panting for breath. 
he was by no means deficient in spirit on such an occasion as this and it's my belief you will be hanged said miss biles who was still working away at his back the scene was one which was not creditable to the shop of english tradesmen in the nineteenth century the young men and girls had come round from behind the counter but they made no attempt to separate the combatants mr jones was not loved among them and the chance of war seemed to run very much in favor of the lady one discreet youth had gone out in quest of a policeman but he was not successful in his search till he had walked half a mile from the door mr jones was at last nearly smothered in the encounter for the great weight and ample drapery of mrs moroni were beginning to tell upon him when she got his back against the counter it was as though a feather-bed was upon him in the meantime the unfortunate mantle had fared badly between them and was now not worth the purchase money which but ten minutes since had been so eagerly tendered for it things were in this state when mr brown slowly descended into the arena while george robinson standing at the distant doorway in the back looked on with blushing cheeks one of the girls had explained to mr brown what was the state of affairs and he immediately attempted to throw oil on the troubled waters wherefore all this noise he said raising both his hands as he advanced slowly to the spot mr jones i implore you to desist but mr jones was wedged down upon the counter and could not desist madam what can i do for you and he addressed himself to the back of mrs moroni which was still convulsed violently by her efforts to pummel mr jones i believe he's well-nigh killed her i believe he has said miss biles then at last the discreet youth returned with three policemen and the fight was at an end that the victory was with mrs moroni nobody could doubt she held in her hand all but the smallest fragment of the mantle the price of which however miss biles had been careful to re-pocket and showed no sign of exhaustion whereas jones was speechless but nevertheless she was in tears and appealed loudly to the police and to the crowd as to her wrongs i'm fairly murthered with him then so i am the base the villain the swindler what am i to do at all and my things all destroyed look at this then and she held up the cause of war did mortal man ever see the like of that and i'm beaten black and blue with him so i am and then she sobbed violently so you are mrs moroni said miss biles he to call himself a man indeed and to go to strike a woman it's true for you dear continued mrs moroni policeman mind i give him in charge you're all witnesses i give that man in charge mr jones also was very eager to secure the intervention of the police much more so than was mr brown who was only anxious that everybody should retire mr jones could never be made to understand that he had in any way been wrong a firm needn't sell an article unless it pleases he argued in the magistrate a firm is bound to make good his promises sir replied the gentleman in worship street and no respectable firm would for a moment hesitate to do so 
and then he made some remarks of a very severe nature. Mr. Brown did all that he could to prevent the affair from becoming public. He attempted to bribe Mrs. Moroni by presenting her with the torn mantle, but she accepted the gift and then preferred her complaint. He bribed the policeman also, but nevertheless the matter got into the newspaper reports. The Daily Jupiter, of course, took it up, for what does it not take up in its solicitude for poor British human nature? and tore Brown, Jones, and Robinson to pieces in a leading article. No punishment could be inflicted on the firm, for, as the magistrate said, no offense could be proved. The lady also had certainly been wrong to help herself, but the whole affair was damaging in the extreme to Magenta House, and gave a terrible check to that rapid trade which had already sprang up under the influence of an extended system of advertising. End of chapter 14 Recording by Arnold Banner, Thurmond, North Carolina